Read it all. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Well, it's been a while since I've preached, so I sometimes don't know what will happen. I feel a bit frenetic. Um, that may be bad for you. I don't know. We'll see what the Lord does. The sermon title. I got a few inquiries about this. Why anything? Why everything? Or as physicists and philosophers like to say it, why is there something rather than nothing? Why are there badgers and bumblebees? Why are there mountains and oceans and supernovas and black holes and trillions of galaxies? Why a sermon series entitled Blow Your Mind that we just went through with Dr. Vaden, soon to be Dr. Vaden? Why you? Why me? Why anything? Why everything? God. Very simple answer. God. The answer the world rejects. And I, I'm sad to say that the answer that um, many, many churches take for granted. But not grace. Not grace. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, There is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. So if you had, had any confusion when you woke up this morning, why you're here, it's because the Father put you here. You're not to be confused. You're to wake up every morning and understand exactly who you are and exactly why you're here. We exist for Him, and Paul goes on to say, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we exist through Him, for Him and through Him. You're not to be confused. This is the ambiance of your life, right? As you go out into the world and live it. Your spouse knows, your kids know, your co-workers know, your friends know, your neighbors know. I understand why I'm here. I understand what this is all about. So the Bible is unequivocal. God created the world for God. God created the world for God he is the one for whom we exist. And I, I would like to add, uh, the Bible is unequivocal on this. God is the gospel. He's the good news. God's the good news. He's the good, He's there. And He's beautiful. And He's awesome. And He's captivating. And He's thrilling. And He's wonderful. And He's magnificent. Beloved, you know, all the best is out in front of us, <laughs> right? All the best is out in front of us to be with Him forever. I know that most don't believe that God is the good news. Many, even some in the church, live like everything is about them. 
uh, with absolutely, really, no consideration on a daily basis, moment by moment, that God is there and He matters more than anything else in my life. It's like, as R.C. Sproul said, living like a practical atheist. I never bring God down into the minutiae of my life. I never consider God in this activity or this work or this labor or this job. I never consider it. Sproul is right. It's like living like a practical atheist. And I often remind you, the more you get to hear me preach and teach, it's not about you. You've probably heard me say this already once or twice. You'll hear me say it a lot. It's not about you. You've got to wake up in the morning and remember it's not about you. It's about God. It's about God. It's not even about you a little bit. It's about God. The triune God is the point. He's always the point. He's never not the point. So this is how the biblically literate person answers the ultimate why question. God made the world for God. And what was His purpose in creating all things? You already know. For His glory. It's all about God's glory. Everything is about the glory of God. In creation, God went, and I love this, one of my favorite theologians said it this way. In creation, God went public with His magnificence, splendor, beauty, and brilliance. <laughs> he went public. He didn't need to go public. <laughs> you know, He's fully content in the Godhead, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. He didn't need you. He didn't need me. He was fully satisfied. Simply in the Godhead. John Piper writes it like this. All of God's creative works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Now, I read that sentence and three years later I was in seminary. Now, it may not hit you like it hit me, but I have never been the same since I've come to see God like this. Infinite exuberance for His own excellence. It's just a beautifully expressive way to say it's all about His glory. It is all about His glory. And this is really good news. <laughs> this is really good news for you if you call yourself a Christian this morning because in regeneration and being born again, the consummate joy of the believer is what? Is what? The glory of God. My consummate joy in Christ is His glory. This is true every day. It's true every day when the Christian wakes up. Therefore, you got to love this, God's invincible, invincible pursuit of His glory, which He is pursuing, is his invincible pursuit of the believer's joy. It's essentially one thing. Because God's glory is our joy, as God pursues his glory, by default he's pursuing our joy. I love the song. Of course, we've got to praise him, right? We have to praise him. This is... Good news. It can't be about the reflection in the mirror, beloved. 
and I'll say this to you a lot because I got, I got in the habit of saying it. I like to remind myself of this because it's true. I'm 67 years old and I've learned one thing. If, if, if I haven't learned but one thing, I've learned one thing. I'm not that interesting. Man, I need God or I'm bored out of my mind. Nothing fills the soul but God. Now you can go try. Some of you young people, some of you folks here just testing out this religious thing. You know, some of you guys are just here just hanging out. You go test me on this if you, you know, feel like you have to. You go try to fill yourself up with the world and you will fail. You will fail every time. You will fail. God made you for one reason, and that's to fill you up with himself. That's what it's all about. Now, some of you know better. You're smarter than me. You're going to have to go out and find out for yourself. Okay, go do it. But you'll come back, and you'll admit that I was right. You'll admit that I was right about that one. So why is there something rather than nothing? For the glory of Yahweh and the joy of his elect. That's a succinct answer. As succinct as I can get it. And there's a beautiful thing happening here, right? <laughs> yes, God is revealing his glory. That's part of creation. God is revealing his glory. He's showing it to everybody. He's showing it to everybody, even those who hate him. He's showing it to them. Even the demons, he's showing it to them. But he's doing something else with the elect. He's doing something else with the true believer. He's communicating it to them. We don't just see it, we taste it. In our souls, we taste it. We have the very life of God in us. Yes, as Brad's been teaching us, we are partakers of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit is in us. Beloved, this is huge. And I'm, I, I, I never cease to be amazed at, at how many Christians seem to not be jazzed about this and take it for granted. You know John 17 where Jesus prays about the redeemed tasting divine joy and this kind of inexplicable oneness that we have with the Godhead, John 17, 21. I don't try to explain John 17, 21. I just worship at John 17, 21. And if you haven't read John 17 in a while, I would challenge you to do it this week. C.S. Lewis, as you know, was a famous 20th century Christian apologist. Apologist simply means he defended the faith. He was a defender of the faith. And some of you wear uh, a aware of us, Lewis's conversion. He had a real problem with the Psalms. Anybody know what the, the problem Lewis had with the Psalms? Because God is always commanding us to praise him in them, right? Lewis didn't get this. He didn't like this. He didn't understand this. He said, God's like a vain woman seeking her next compliment. He didn't understand it. But then he had a life-changing Holy Spirit-inspired insight. He realized God wasn't looking for another compliment and God didn't need to shore up a self-esteem problem. He came to understand that to praise God was his deepest need. It was his deepest 
need. And he wrote it like this. This is beautiful. All enjoyment, I want you to listen to this. Isn't this true of your life? Of everything you enjoy? All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into Psalm 117. What did the psalmist say three times in Psalm 117? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Exclamation point, exclamation point. In most English translations, there are two exclamation points in, in Psalm 117. All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Praise doesn't merely express enjoyment, it completes it. You guys know this is true in life. The groom sings the praises of his bride. The mom praises the newborn. The mountain climber praises the view. The Razorback fans call the hogs, although not so much when they play Alabama. <laughs> Praise is always the climax and chorus of deep enjoyment. Psalm 117, I enjoy God. I enjoy God. I enjoy God. It's what God is saying. Come and enjoy me. And listen, I want to teach you every time you see God command you to praise him, I want you to never forget this. It is an invitation to come and enjoy him. Now, God's not interested in your dutiful praise. That is an oxymoron. He's not interested in dutiful praise. But man, if you love him and you enjoy him, yes, that is the praise God delights in. Psalm 117, <laughs> it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Praise, you guys know, praise Yahweh. All nations, laud Him, which can be translated praise or extol. Laud Him, all peoples, for His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting Praise the Lord. If praise is the climax of enjoyment, what is God calling us to? If praise is the climax of enjoyment, what is God calling us to? What's implicit here? What's unavoidable here? He's calling us to come and delight in Him. It's what it means to praise. You praise what you enjoy. And if you don't enjoy it, it's not true. It's a lie. It's a charade. I'm going to give you some trivia here. Um, Psalm 117 is the middle chapter of the Bible. And as Joe is full aware, fully aware, it is the shortest chapter in the Bible. I'm pretty sure this means something. I'm pretty sure that it means something. So let me just say this right to you. I'm probably going to read it because I want to get it right. In the heart of the Bible, this middle chapter that perfectly links all that has gone before and all that will follow reminds us that God is not only worthy of praise, 
But in this Psalm 117 command to praise him, God is ultimately inviting us to come and enjoy him. It's what forever will be about. Enjoying Yahweh. Because you don't ever get to the end of Yahweh. It's always eternal and infinite joy with Yahweh. In the shortest chapter in the Bible, in the heart of the Scriptures, the Bible is directly and succinctly and repeatedly three times commanding mankind to praise God. Reminding us again that He is not only worthy of this, but He is ultimately calling His people to come and praise Him. Why anything? Why everything? Because God has purposed to glorify Himself in the joy of His people. That's why. Because God purposed to glorify Himself in letting His people taste His infinite exuberance. Psalm 117 is everything. It's everything. It's right there. And we read over it. We don't think about it. We don't see it. We don't love it. But we're, we're supposed to love this invitation from God. He's our sustenance. It's our food and our bread and our drink. The enjoyment of God. We could say... Praise is the fruit of enjoyment. I like that. I'm sure I didn't come up with that, but I'm sure I read it somewhere. But I like that. Or we could say enjoyment is the root of praise. Either way. <laughs> Either way. I want to try to help you make this connection. This middle chapter in the Bible, the shortest one is teaching us something huge. And what I think we have going on here is another mind-blowing series. Because we're going to be talking about some of these things in the next few weeks. Lewis is right, and we know he is. This is how life works. True enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Praise completes the enjoyment. What if the score had been Arkansas 49 and Alabama 26? Not going to happen in my lifetime. Do you get my point? When you enjoy, you genuinely praise. And I'm going to say it again. Don't dare come in here and dutifully praise. God detests feigned worship. It's all the way through the scriptures. He detests it. You know what he says there in Malachi chapter 1. Just shut it down. I'm not interested in what you do. Just close the door. Lock it up. So all this raises a huge question for you and me. Are you truly praising God when you come in here? And I'm not just talking about in this room. Are you truly praising God with all your life? In your marriage? Raising your kids? 
at the workplace with your neighbors? Is that the ambiance of your life? Are you truly praising God? Are you just pretending to be a Christian for some unknown reason that I cannot fathom? You know, when I grew up, everybody was a Christian. At least they said they were. Everybody went to church. It's not like that anymore. Um, it's not like that anymore. Culturally, it used to be almost necessary to be a church member somewhere. It's not like that anymore. And that may not be a bad thing. God's not interested in feigned worship. He's not. He's not interested in performance. He's not. He's interested in Psalm 117. Come and enjoy me. That's what God is always looking for. Come and enjoy me. If you're not enjoying God, you're not praising God. I think we all understand that. Lewis indicts mankind here. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about, fooling about with sin when infinite joy has been offered to us. We are like ignorant children playing with mud pies in the slum when God has offered us a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Again, one of the most beautiful insights written by a human being not writing scripture. It's just true. So the question for you and me is, have we settled? Have we settled for feigned praise? Or are we enjoying God? That, that's really the question in Psalm 117. Have we settled for mere performance, outward performance, dutiful praise? Or are we enjoying God? Which one's true? 117 is everything. This is the heart of everything. <laughs> right in the middle of the Bible. Two verses. It's everything. It's everything. Have you settled? I exhort you to settle no more. Embrace Psalm 117 and all that it means. The key question here, and it separates the sheep from the goats, is God your preeminent delight, your principal enjoyment, your greatest satisfaction, or not? It's everything. This is everything. Do you find more pleasure in something created than you do in your Creator? Then you cannot possibly understand nor obey Psalm 117. It's that Jeremiah 2 thing, you know, where God's people walked off and left Him and they were drinking from dry wells, you remember? And He said, let the heavens be appalled. Why would they drink from a dry well? I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, go read Jeremiah 2. If you're not familiar 
with it. Heartfelt praise of the Creator God is not for half-hearted creatures, as C.S. Lewis said. It's why, it's why Jesus is going to spit the lukewarm out of His mouth. It's an insult to Him. It's an insult to Him. Of course He's going to spit the lukewarm out of His mouth. So sin is our pursuit of joy where no joy can be found. Some of you are not going to believe me. Some of you are going to go out the door and have to find that out for yourself. I pray that's not true. But I've been around a while. I know how things go. You're going to find out that being far too easily pleased is not pleasing at all. So let me ask you this. And based on what I've said thus far, you should get this one. What could God give to fallen man that would show God most loving? What? Himself. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Seriously? I know I say this a lot to you, but we know this is the pervasive theme in uh, modern evangelicalism. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Don't bore me. What? What would be the most loving thing God could give me? It's Himself. Forever. Himself. It's Psalm 117. Come and enjoy me. Not just today, but for a billion eternities, right? Come and... It's the memory verse of our Attributes of God Bible study. Psalm 37.4 Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of, his, of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What were you made to desire preeminently? God. <laughs> Every other desire is, you know... Can, can be correct in, in, in its proper context, but if it usurps the desire you have for God, you are in deep sin, and I'm pretty sure you're unconverted. God is the preeminent desire of the believer, period. There is no competition. <laughs> When it comes to Him, our study in the attributes of God will simply be an exercise in, the, in delighting in all that we can learn that God is. We have limitations. <laughs> you know, Brad's right. We're limited. But we're going we're gonna to study God and we're going to learn what we can. And we're going to delight in Him. It's what believers do. I always have, a always have trouble saying this. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Solomon says, God set eternity in our hearts. Only God can fill that up. You have an eternity in your heart. It's how He made you. And you cannot be filled up apart from your Creator. We need to praise God. He is what He made 
our souls for. The old catechism is right. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper makes a, he just changes a preposition here and it gets bigger. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And if you're converted, that's already started. If you're not converted, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But I'll be happy to talk with you further if you're interested in pursuing what it's like to be in relationship with your Creator and your Redeemer. God has made it possible at great cost to Himself that we could come and enjoy Him. It's through the cross of Christ. He did that. We didn't want Him. He came for us. So why anything? Why everything? For the true believer, it's Psalm 117. It's a huge part of what God is saying in Psalm 117. Settle no more. Come and enjoy me. So I want to challenge you on this. Every time you read in the Psalms, which will be about 200 times, where, where we are instructed or commanded to praise God, I want you to hear both things. Praise God, He's worthy. Praise God, I enjoy Him. I want you to hear both things. I don't want you to ever read the Bible again and not hear both things. God is worthy of praise, and I must praise Him because He is the delight of my soul. I have to. Not because it's a burden, because I can't stop myself from praising this amazing God. There in Psalm 117, praise the Lord. All nations laud Him. Again, as I said earlier, that can be translated praise. Praise Him, all peoples. This is an invitation to all mankind, right? And you get there to, uh, at the end of verse two, uh, 2, and there's another exhortation of praise. Praise the Lord. God is simply saying, Psalm 117, don't settle anymore. Come and enjoy me, come and enjoy me, come and enjoy me. This is everything. I really want to challenge you on this to begin to hear this. That God has invited you to come and taste infinite exuberance. When you see the word praise in the Bible, I want I, I, I want you. I want this to be right in. Right. I want it to be right there. It's an invitation from God to come and enjoy. And look there in verse two, and it underscores. It underscores all that we've been saying. His loving kindness is great toward us. In His great love, God is exhorting us to settle no more for things that cannot satisfy, but to come and enjoy Him. Right. 
It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's everything. You guys know Psalm 63.3. David says it. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will what? My lips will what? Go to church. My lips will what? Uh, memorize a lot of scripture. My, my lips will what? Praise you. He says it. Because your loving kindness is better than anything else, I will praise you. It's sheer pleasure and enjoyment. You know, people don't want to come to church because it's boring. These people are clueless. Well, we know they're dead in their sins. As God has made clear in his word. So David is saying what I'm trying to say. I'm not sure if I'm communicating well or not. But I am trying to say that, that, that God was David's delight. And when he praises the Lord, he's expressing delight. That's what praise is supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be. There in verse 2, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Now listen to this. This is me, okay? <laughs> the truth of the Lord is everlasting. The truth that Jesus Christ is God enough to explode my soul with joy forever. Yeah, I'm screaming a lot. Well, it's not my fault. I haven't preached in a long time. <laughs> so I've got all this pent up preaching. <laughs> and I got to get it out. Feel sorry for Karen sometimes. <laughs> she says, you just need to go preach. Maybe I just need to go stand on the street corner somewhere. <clears throat> we will enjoy him forever, and we will never get to the end of enjoying him forever. It'll be nonstop, infinite exuberance every nanosecond. For a billion eternities. And again, I got to go to Psalm 43.4. Some of you are familiar with this. Psalm 43.4. <laughs> to God, listen to, listen to the psalmist. To God, my exceeding joy, I shall praise you, O God, my God. If you don't believe what Jim is saying, at least believe what the Bible's saying. This is the, God is the joy of the psalmist. It's why he praises God. It's the only kind of praise God will receive. Half-hearted praise? Not interested. Lukewarm praise? Not interested. Feigned religion? Not interested. Why anything? Why everything? For the glory of God and the joy of the elect. Some people don't like that kind of talk. Well, too bad. It's what the Bible teaches. I would lovingly say that if Jesus Christ is not your primary and persistent delight, you have not met Him yet. And we know, biblically, that joy is the hallmark of true conversion. We understand this. If we're biblically literate, we understand it. I looked the word up. I looked the word joy up. A condition of feeling great pleasure, happiness, and delight. 
There was a synonym there that surprised me. It's fruition. Fruition means the agreeable emotion accompanying the expectation, acquisition, or possession of something desirable, which led me to another word. uh, In the context of joy, essentially fruition means completion. Joy, fruition, completion. Yes, Psalm 117, I will praise the Lord because I have tasted joy and fruition and completion. I won't bore you with all the word studies. We're talking about transcendent joy here. As the Apostle Paul says, as he said, weeping yet always rejoicing. You couldn't keep Paul down. You know, he wrote, he wrote Philippians, the epistle of joy in prison. <laughs> transcendent joy. Not circumstantial. Praise God for circumstantial joy. I enjoy circumstantial joy. And the day that, you know, Arkansas beats Alabama, there'll be circumstantial joy. It's never going to happen in my lifetime. I get it. Transcendent joy. It doesn't matter if I've cried my last tear today and I can't cry again. I can't cry more. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a human being. I hurt. And I'm going to weep. And I'm going to feel sorrow. And it's going to be hard sometimes. But God is my delight. And nothing can steal that from me. Of course, that's what the Apostle Paul knew sitting in that jail. So let me just make this point real quick, kind of a theological point. The Bible is full of infinite exuberance, the joy of God. It's full from beginning to end. We know in creation it was awash with joy, Job 38, 7. When God said, let there be the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted with joy. Redemption was driven by joy, Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Eternity will be overflowing with joy, Psalm 16, 11. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Glorification will consist of his joy. John 15, 11, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, this is God's joy, my joy will be in you, and that you may be made full. And you remember what Jesus said to the faithful steward over in Matthew 25, 23, right? Well done, enter into the, what? Joy of your master. (laughs) Come get a big gulp. You've had a foretaste all your life. Come and drink deeply. Come and drink. Come into the joy of your master. Most of you already know this, but for those of you who don't, there is no fruition or completion or joy apart from the sun. Basta. Impossible. It does not exist. But in Christ, there is ultimate fruition, absolute completion, and infinite joy. Again, it's a hallmark of true conversion. So I want to turn, if you want to turn with me, over to, I want to show you this. I know you know it. You guys are well taught, but 
Where would you turn if you wanted to show that true conversion was full of joy? Where would you go? There are a couple places we could go. But I'm going to go to a place where you cannot, you cannot rationalize this. <laughs> you, you, can, you, know, you, you cannot make it try to say something else. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus is in the middle of this great chapter of teaching about the parables of, of what, it, what true conversion looks like, what salvation looks like. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven, these are Jesus' words, these are the red word, the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like what? It's a treasure. And when you find a treasure, when a treasure comes into your possession, it's not ho-hum, right? It's not ho-hum. But I even got to the good part yet. It's like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid. And from what? You tell me. From what? Joy. Now, this is a converted man. From joy, over it, over the treasure, over Christ, he goes and he sells all that he has that he may possess the field. Jesus Christ is infinitely more valuable than anything and everything. And if you don't know that yet, I'm going to challenge you to go home and get on your face and do some work. Jesus Christ is more precious, priceless, and important than anything and everything. If you don't know that yet, I lovingly exhort you to go home and get on your face and do some work. Jesus is the treasure. And if you're a Christian today, you have the treasure. It really doesn't matter what you don't have. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what you don't have. It's Christian hedonism. You know what hedonist is, right? Hedonist is a, is a seeker of pleasure. Well, if you put Christian on, in front of hedonist, you have the ultimate pursuit of pleasure. The Christian is in ultimate suit of the ultimate pleasure his name is Jesus Christ. My whole life is about pleasure in my treasure. Yeah, and we have that sin problem. I know you I know you've got it. I know those of you out there that are born again, I know you're still fighting sin. I, I, we all have that. I have to ask forgiveness from my wife way too often. And she says, what's that about? She already knows what it's about. <laughs> it's about my heart. It's about my sinful heart that's unkind sometimes. Jesus Christ is better than anything this life can give, and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. He is our treasure. And Jesus said it, didn't he? Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, what? That's where your heart really is. <laughs> Don't come in here and play religion with me. What do you really love? I know. 
I know what you really love, preeminently love, primarily love. God knows. It's a beautiful thing, right? We can't hide one thing from Him. It's a beautiful thing. Sometimes we wish we could, but we can't. And yet He still bled out for us. Yeah? He still bled out for us. So we know that life changes when Jesus becomes our delight. When Jesus becomes our treasure, let's turn over to Luke. Let's look at it real quick. Luke 19, you guys know the story. You probably learned it in Sunday school if you grew up in the church. It's a little bitty guy. Little bitty guy. Who knows about the little bitty guy? His whole world changed in a nanosecond. What he treasured before is not what he treasures now. Everything changed for the little bitty guy. Zacchaeus, Luke 19, he was a tax, tax gatherer and he was rich. Now, to be a Jew and be a tax gatherer or collector for the Romans is to say that I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I love money more than your, your good opinion. Hey, it says, verse 3, he was trying to see who Jesus was. And he couldn't see because he was a little teeny guy. And he ran on ahead, verse 4, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree so he could see this Jesus, verse 5. And Jesus came to the place and he looked up. You think there's a chance that Jesus was not going to look up? You think there's any way he was not going to look up? Do you know that on the far side of eternity past, Jesus set his heart on Zacchaeus? There's no way he's not going to look up. <laughs> but he looks up. Zacchaeus' treasure finds him in the tree. <laughs> Zacchaeus, verse 6. He hurried and he gladly received him. And of course the Pharisees grumbled. This is what religious people do. They grumbled. How do we know it changed? How do we know his treasure changed? His life changed. Look, verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Now, what was the law? The law for if you defraud somebody, the law was what? What was the penalty in the law? Anybody know? You had to give 20%. He's giving back four times as much. Plus, he's just uh, generally giving away half of his possessions. Now, this man loved money more than he loved the good opinion of his friends, neighbors, and family. And now he's giving it all away. Why? He's found his treasure. He's found it. And everything changes for him. Everything has changed. The joy of repentance is spilling out of his life so nobody can mistake what this is about. A new treasure and pleasure is born in the heart of Zacchaeus. It's called fruition and completion and joy and delight in our Creator. And you're going to hear me say this a lot. I got in a habit of saying it. And old preachers can't get out of the habit of saying stuff they've been saying for 20 years. So my apologies to you. This is not about ought. It's not about should. Genuine biblical 
Born-again Christianity is never about ought. Yes, you ought, and yes, you should, but it ain't about that. It's about desire. You remember David wrote in Psalm 63, My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you. Is that how it is with you and Jesus? So here's what enjoyment looks like. <laughs> Abraham left his home not knowing where he was going to go. Moses took on the most powerful nation in the world with a staff. Gideon and the boys went on the offensive, outnumbered 450 to 1. Mary of Bethany worshipped Jesus with a perfume worth a year's wages. <clears throat> the widow gave her last cent. Matthew left his career, Peter left his business, Paul left his religion. It's Psalm 117. It's what happens when men and women meet their Creator, Redeemer, God. We have to do Psalm 117. Not just with our lips, but with all of our lives and all of our possessions. We have to do it. We can't help it. We must do it. As Brad said to me a long time ago, I never forgot it, because in a few minutes, we'll be with him. So what are you hanging on to? <laughs> you know? John Piper poses a good question here. Okay, he's going to contrast the man-centered gospel with the God-centered gospel, okay? Do you feel more love because God makes much of you? That's the man-centered gospel. You're the middle. God's peripheral. God is, it's, God is, God's doing everything because it's all about you. That's the man-centered gospel. I'll start again. Do you feel more love because God makes much of you? Or because at the cost of His Son, He enables you to enjoy making much of Him? The, uh, the God-centered gospel. Beloved, I hope all of you have developed this discipline. You look in the mirror and you, you have to tell yourself, it ain't about me today. It's about Him. It's always about Him. It's always about Him. This man-centered gospel that permeates much of the modern church, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not about you. It's the most loving thing. I can, one of the most loving things I can say to you is it's not about you. It's about your creator. Why does Satan love that man-centered gospel? Because no one could ever truly enjoy a deferential God. Yahweh is not deferential. It is about him, and he's happy about it. He's real happy about it. And he's calling his people to the same thing. To be happy about it. He's not an acquiescent, compliant, docile, sycophantic God. He's not peripheral. He's the center of all. Which is what he means to be. In your life. Because Jesus is, and I love this, I think I preached this here a long time ago, maybe, I don't know, 10, I don't know when it was. 
Jesus is the God of Psalm 99, 1 through 3. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. Right? He's enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion, he is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise his great and awesome name. Yes, as we've been saying, let them enjoy his great and awesome name. A God worthy to live for and a God worthy to die for. The God of Psalm 99, 1 through 3. So we don't follow Jesus because he makes much of us. We follow him because he has enabled us to make much of him. It's not about my worth. It's about his infinite and compelling and captivating worth. Now. A question may have arisen in some of your minds. Jim, it's hard. Sometimes. And we know what Jesus says. It's not easy. It's not always easy to walk with Jesus, right? Those of you who have attained a certain number of years, you understand this. Sometimes we do deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and we experience hatred from within our own family. We suffer persecution in prison. prison. We are hated by our colleagues and neighbors at times and the world in general. We know the hard sayings of Jesus, but it doesn't matter. We've tasted infinite exuberance. We get Psalm 117 and all of that difficulty and all those tears, they're swallowed up in infinite joy. So... As I close, my paraphrase of Psalm 117, okay? Jim's paraphrase of Psalm 117. Come and enjoy me, all nations. Come and enjoy me, all peoples. For my loving kindness is great toward my people and my truth is everlasting. Come and enjoy me. So God is saying to everyone who has the ears to hear, don't settle anymore. Come and enjoy me now and forever. I think it is a mind, I think it's a blow your mind sermon series. We're going to talk about these things a little bit more. So the old catechism is right. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's pray together.